Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is From Story to Impact, where we talk about the stories of our lives. I'm your host, Steve Gallegos, and I thank you for giving us your time and attention on this episode. Now, as many of you know already, if you've been following us, this is the official show of the Voices of Impact Awards, which is an annual event that celebrates the voices that inspire humanity. And when we say voices, we're, of course, referring to your voice, because we know you've had some struggles, you've had challenges, and you've also had some joyful, epic experiences from which you've learned valuable lessons. And it's these lessons that you can share and help others and guide others to do better in their personal lives, in their relationships, in their careers, and also in their business endeavors. Now, I know that, like me, all of you have a favorite story. Yours may be from childhood. It could be a story that you heard yesterday. These are the stories that inspire us, that motivate us. They make us laugh and they make us cry and they inspire us to dance, sing, and even to create new companies and bring new solutions to the world. Stories is how you and I connect to one another. It's how we relate. Stories is how we can give some meaning to our past, provide a framework for the future, and also allows us to envision the future. So to honor and celebrate you, we created the Voices of Impact Awards so that you can share your story with the world and be recognized for your contribution. And indeed, it is a contribution. The fun thing about it is you don't need to be a celebrity. You don't need to be a social media influencer or a published author. You don't need special credentials, money, or even the right connections. You only need the courage to share your story with the world. And get this, if you've never spoken or shared your story with the world before, don't worry because we've got your back there. We're going to give you free training, free guidance, uh, free mentorship so that we can help you write your story, share your story, speak your story, and deliver value to the world. So to learn more and to apply for your chance to be a finalist and to win $20,000 in cash, head on over to voiawards.com and sign up to become one of our storytellers. And speaking of storytellers, our studio guest today is my friend, David Hancock. Now, David founded Morgan James Publishing in 2003, which he named after his two children, Morgan Renee and Ethan James. And of course, they're all grown up now. And he did it because he wanted to revolutionize the book publishing industry, the book publishing platform to provide a better opportunity, a more level opportunity, more favorable and friendly opportunity for the authors than what they were receiving in the traditional publishing world. As a result of what David has created, he's been honored by numerous business and media organizations for his leadership, his creative thinking, and his accomplishments. And while all of these awards and, and accolades are amazing by any standard, I have found in the short time that I've known David, it's been maybe a year or so, I found it's not the awards that drives David to do what he does. Indeed, David is driven by his wife, Susan, who David tells me is a much, much better driver than he is. <laughs> but in reality, what you'll find out, David is driven by giving. This man is a giver like no other. And he doesn't do it for show. He doesn't do it because of what will you do for me, as many people are known to do. But he does it because of what giving does personally and professionally. And he's going to define that here in this interview. 
Uh, together with his friend Bobby Kipper, they wrote a book called Performance Driven Thinking, which is, of course, on the New York Times bestseller, USA Today, and also the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And they followed this up with a book called Performance Driven Giving, which teaches us to unleash the power of generosity in our own lives. Incredible, incredible book. We're going to talk about it here in a minute. And we at the Voices of Impact Awards got to experience David's giving firsthand. In this interview, we're going to reveal what David did when I first told him about our awards program several months ago. And this will show you just the kind of man that he is. He is one who truly gives and lives like no one else. David, my friend, all the way from Virginia, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Uh, what a privilege it is to be here. And thank you for that wonderful, warm, welcoming. Man, I appreciate you so much. It's a privilege to, to get to know you and chat with you and now have an opportunity to chat with your audience. I'm so excited about this opportunity. And you should be because uh, this is a um, obviously an evergreen uh, interview and it is not only going out to the current participants uh, in the Voices of Impact Awards, which is taking place later this year in September 2023 here in beautiful Denver. Um, but as you know, David, as uh, I've shared with you this, we want this to be an annual event. We want this to be the, the Oscars of its kind for the storytellers. And guess what, Dave? We've added songwriters as oh, well to the program because um, as, as a former musician and songwriter myself, Grammy uh, had a album considered for um, a Grammy back in 2000 when I was in the industry. Songwriting is another way that we tell our stories. And one of the most impactful songs for me that inspired me to add songwriting to this program was I Can Only Imagine. Do you know that song by the band Mercy Me? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, uh, he's from your part of the, he's in your neck of the woods. You're in Virginia, but I think um, Bart is uh, anyway, from Kentucky or Tennessee or one of those, uh, one of those countries down there. Anyway, so I, I reasoned that, you know, people tell stories through songs too. So why not add that element and just, it's going to add to the, to the uniqueness of this event. And so we're super excited, but more than that right now, I'm super excited to interview you, to talk to you and to um, thank you for sharing your time with me today. I know you're super busy. So let's start, David. Let's tell me, tell me, tell me, why do you do what you do? Well, that's a great question. The, who, what motivates people is always one of those intrigues, especially when uh, you kind of get to know them and realize hey, that guy's a little different. Why is he doing that? <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I would tell you, I, I've always had a passion for serving others. I learned a long time ago in, in my upbringing, but also in my business training under Tom Hopkins, Zig Ziglar, Jay Conrad Levinson, and others. I realized that the more I served others to help them realize their goals, the more that it would come back to me. And I've been in sales my entire life, and I had bosses that had philosophies of, uh, you know, charge them as much as charge as much as you can without running them off. Or uh, one of them was even nick them right the first time, and they won't come back, so you don't have to. <laughs> And I'm like, that's not me. How can I serve you? And how can I help you realize your goals? And just realize that that became a big part of me. So as I went through my, my career as a banker, I was a banker back in the 90s, ended up writing my first books in the 90s. The lack of relationship I had with, uh, you know, with the publishers, I just felt like there, there's just a hole there. There's got to be a way to connect. I, I thought with my uh, passion for serving others that this certainly could be, you know, one of my, one of my gifts to maybe start, you know, a, a publishing empire. Uh, but the reason why I do it is I just thrive at seeing others succeed. Um, 
for me, I don't care who somebody publishes with. I want to add value wherever I can. Certainly a number of them may be right for us, but I just thrive at seeing other people, you know, succeed or thrive with whatever I might be able to share with them, some wisdom or encouragement or something along those lines. But that's always been a been a joy to me. And I think that's a deep-rooted guerrilla marketing, you know, character trait of uh, wanting others to succeed and realizing that we've got no competition. Uh, only opportunities for collaboration and how can we help others realize their goals? And as Zig Ziglar taught us, it'll come back to us. Wonderful. And you've mentioned some incredible people, Jay Conrad Levinson and Zig Ziglar, of course, which are two of my mentors as well. One of the areas that you and I strongly align in is this one of giving to others first and then from somewhere, the universe is going to give back to you um, tenfold and, and many times a hundredfold. And it's a lesson that I learned uh, at an early age when I was 17, even before I knew who Zig Ziglar was. Yeah. But I, I developed the philosophy of I achieve my dreams, helping others achieve theirs and yeah. not asking for anything in return. So since we're talking about childhood now, I want to take you back to your childhood and ask you, were you like this as a kid or was this idea of giving to others, helping others, wanting them to succeed? Was that something that was innate to you as a kid? Or was it something that you developed as an adult in business and saying, you know what, I want to live my life this way? No, that's a great question. So I, I think there was probably uh, a little bit of that instilled in with me with just my upbringing. But certainly as I became more focused on a career in sales, uh, that I realized that I could do, I could do more by serving more and serving better. So I, I know uh, you know that my upbringing planted those proper seeds, but I really had a chance to water those uh, and uh, and nourish those when I began my career in sales when I was a banker. Actually, God had a great sense of humor for me to find my path to banking, but. Uh, uh, yeah, so a little bit of both, if that if that answers the question. <laughs> no, no, it does. I was just wondering if you know, because some people don't find that um, that uh, mission or that purpose or that identity within them until you know something happens is happens to them later on in life. And others, you find that you know, you, if if we were to talk to your parents, would they say, "Oh, yeah, David was always you know that." kid who would give everything away to his friends, you know, give away his lunch, his donut, his cookies, whatever, right? Uh -huh. um, so, okay, perfect, perfect. So tell me, I, you shared a little bit about your journey into the world of publishing. You were kind of frustrated by the way you were treated, I guess, uh, for lack of better words, by your first book publisher. What was it about that where you snapped and said, you know what, I can do this better and I need to turn this industry around? So it was a process and it, it became pretty clear pretty quickly that publishing as related to entrepreneurially minded people like myself um, just lacked a, a little bit because we entrepreneurs, now it's funny I say we entrepreneurs because at that time I was still a W-2 employee for a bank. But being 100% commission when, on your earnings, you basically have to treat it like your own business to, to make it work. Um, you know, I'm fortunate to get compelled to write a book. In fact, our, our mutual friend, uh, Jay Levinson, was my coach at the time. Uh, and he said, David, you need to write a book to share the wisdoms of, of what you've been doing to be a success, to grow a team, to grow your business. And, you know, I was like the last person thinking that I could ever write a book. But he compelled me to write a book, and I did. And it was amazing. Got picked up by a publisher. But I sold them the rights, and as typical publishing is, they did with it as they pleased. They included me in, in nothing. <laughs> and uh, I didn't even like the book when it came out, but I, I, I'm a relationship person, just like you. That lack of relationship, that lack of input was, just, was frustrating. I had no input in the cover, no input in the title. 
when I got the book in the mail, you know, samples pre-publication date, uh, they had added content that I, that, that I wasn't aware of. So it was just, it was just a lack of that communication and, and relationship. It was very frustrating. The book did well. So I'm thinking I could probably survive. I certainly shared my frustrations with my, my friend and hero, Jay, but you know, he encouraged me to work within those parameters and succeed. But as I grew as a speaker behind the book and an entrepreneur creating products and masterminds around my content, I continued to have to go back and get permission. The publisher had to approve my PowerPoint. It was really frustrating. And every time I called them, they're like, who are you again? It's like, I'm so what if that was a book. You don't know who I am yet. You know, anybody, but it was it was frustrating. But the book did well enough that the a clause, like on page 32 of the agreement, got instituted where they really bought me for three books. So I was obligated to do three with them. You know, the idea behind publishing is they'll so get you hooked on one. And if you're a success, we make sure we get the next two. <laughs> right, right, right. I guess that was a success. But I was not enjoying the relationship. I was real frustrated. Wasn't necessarily ready to write another book either, but they were ready to, to you know, to for me to do so. So I sat down with Jay, who was my mentor and friend, and said, man, the only way I can do this, I think, effectively and, and, and maybe spiritually, if you, if you could go on with me as a co-author. So I convinced Jay to co-author a book with me uh, under my, my second book with the publisher. And he said, yes, that's also the power of um, if you don't ask, you don't get. <laughs> ask and you shall receive. And even with Jay as a co-author, now he went lead because he had sold more books on a bigger platform than I. But even with Jay, we still struggled with the conversations with the publisher. Mm. I had sold tens of thousands and he had sold millions. But we still struggled with the the branding, the camouflage motif that uh, you know Girl Marketing had become so famous for, you know, um, as well as the lingo in the book the, and whatnot. Now Jay owned the brand, uh, so the title was pretty much locked down. But it was just it was frustrating. But the straw that broke the camel's back for me was, and I'll pause for a second. It's a little sidebar. As I had gotten passionate about the power of the book. And as I started to immerse myself in this world of authorship and publishing, and I would encourage others to do what I did, you know, teaching them guerrilla marketing, but one of the biggest guerrilla marketing weapons that I could share with anybody that gets stuck in an elevator with me <laughs> was the power of the book. So I'm, I'm inspiring, um, you know, entrepreneurs to do the same thing. I am, I'm meeting authors and entrepreneurs who are doing the same thing that I'm doing and doing it well, which is wonderful. Uh, but I'm also hearing the similar frustrations from those worlds. So I think the, the really the emergence of we solo entrepreneurs really started to come focused uh, in that early, you know, early um, 2000s, late 90s era. But uh, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was the third book, the second in the series of the Grill Marketing series with Jay, with me, was um, book was going to come out in about 2000. It was a marketing book course. And the publisher reached out to us in 99 and said via email, but mind you, that's, there's, that's important. They emailed us and said, Hey, we need you to take out all references of the internet out of your new book. <laughs> what? Said, I know you can't mention the World Wide web. You can't mention email. You can't mention the internet. You can't do anything in your book that would imply the internet. They really thought that the Y2K bug, those of you that might be of age would know what that was. They thought the Y2K bug was going to kill the internet and we were going to go back to fax machines and snail mail. <laughs> now, we knew there was an issue. There were things that needed to be done, but I don't think anybody in their right mind really thought it was going to go away, but they did. <laughs> so the book came out in 2000 and, you know, in all intents and purposes, Jay and I thought it was just a failure, you know, because we had a marketing book that didn't mention the internet. It did okay, but it was just frustrating. So I was out of my free book deal and I'm like, you know, I'm done. And of course, all the things I've heard from other publishers with similar or other authors with similar relationships with the publishers, 
I was feeling you know, very frustrated. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go self-publish, you know, pound my chest saying, you know, I'm a best-selling author. You know, I sold 40,000 books to the bank I worked for. I could do this on my own. What do I need a publisher for? So I went out and self-published three books, probably between 2000, 2002, or late 2002, and uh, loved it. It was wonderful. I was in complete control of everything. Not that I'm a control freak, but um, I just loved the books. The covers were great. The content was great. And I'm like, yeah, this is wonderful. But <laughs> I quickly realized that, well, publishers do bring something to the table. I couldn't get the book in bookstores. I couldn't get media to talk to me about my self-published books. And I couldn't sell them as fast as I was selling the other ones. In fact, I wasn't selling them as fast as the termites were eating them in my garage. So that was a little bit of a, <laughs> of a challenge. And, and I'm like, man, this is frustrating. So I sat down with Jay, who at this point, He's co-author, he's a friend, he's a mentor versus back in the 90s, I was paying him to be my coach. So I sat down with Jay again and said, Jay, somebody's got to fix publishing. And uh, he agreed, but uh, he said, why don't you write an outline for what a you know an entrepreneurial, publish, entrepreneurial publishing house could look like? And he kind of alluded to me, he's a very smart businessman, a very smart coach. He alluded to me that maybe if, if I did that, he liked it, he would take it to Houghton Mifflin who published Guerrilla Marketing and maybe they would create an imprint to support re-entrepreneurs. Or at least that's the way my mind took his coaching. Right, right. So I did this outline. I mean, heavily layered in Guerrilla Marketing, lots of Zig Ziglar put in there, some values-based selling from uh, Bill Backrack. And, you know, just, I mean, it was wonderful. And I presented it to Jay. Oh, yeah. And he loved it. I got an A on it, if you will. And he said, now go do it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I have a full-time day job as a banker. They're paying me stupid money to do what I'm doing. I don't need to be doing this. But my bride in her infinite wisdom pointed out uh, a very uncomfortable fact. She said, you know, David, you're working 22 hours a day. You know, 20 of those are in helping people get their books done just because I was passionate about it. And maybe two hours a day in banking because I had such a machine running. And there's no time for me. There's no time for kids. And like something's got to change. So we decided, yes, let's go ahead and set up this publishing house. Maybe we could build some balance into it. And I launched uh, Morgan James, which, as you alluded to, is a, my kid's name, with a really good idea in 2003, 20 years ago, and uh, or 2003, rather, 20 years ago. And I really, truth be told, I had nothing to offer. I had my rugged good looks and a really good idea. And if you really look at me, the rugged good looks was questionable. <laughs> <laughs> but I had, I had some great connections, some great friends, God's favor, of course, and just the right idea at the right time. So we launched Morgan James with the hope, you know, one day that we could be, that we could have, you know, that, that traditional mindset where we've got credibility, exclusivity, opportunity, bookstore distribution that the big guys have, but dang nabbit, stay the heck out of the way of the entrepreneur, but feed them with the things that they need to know. The old crud now with, I didn't know how to sell books. The publisher was yelling at me for not selling enough books. Like, I don't know how to sell books. So try to figure out how we can serve the author and help them realize their goals. Cause if their goals are met, then our goals are met. And include the things that they may not know yet how to do. And it just took off. Man, I tell you what, we have been lots of stories between then and now, but uh, we've had so much fun and we've been serving an amazing audience about 200 times a year. And it really has been a lot of fun. You know, you just bring so much to the table and we could, you know, there's a lot to unpack in what you said, but I think that what I want the audience to take away from this particular segment is that you don't need to have all your steps ordained in order for you to go out and change the world, right? Or change your industry or change your company or change your family or your community, whatever it is that you're dissatisfied with in your life, in your business, in your career, all you got to do is be 
take that frustration and say, that's it. I'm, I'm sick and tired and I'm not going to do this anymore, right? Just like David did. He, you heard him. He didn't have all the steps ordained. He didn't know how. Um, but he knew the right questions to ask, I can imagine, Dave. And your questions were more directed to not so much how can I do this, but who can help me achieve this, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I didn't even quit my day job for two years. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I had a great idea. I launched it. And again, with my bride's help and Jay's help, we built some balance in it and just kind of earned the rest and figured out the rest. But you're right. Most of us, most, most of us, most successful entrepreneurs um, get there with a lot of help from a lot of our friends. And we learn and we delegate and we, and we bring in resources that are smarter than us and we let them thrive. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We think that we have to do many times, you know, these things by ourselves. We go like, you know, Dave's too busy. You know, like you could have thought Conrad's just, he's sold multi-millions books. I've sold 10,000, 20, 30, 40,000. He's never going to write a book with me, but you asked him, right? And based on your relationship, right, your giving relationship to him prior to that, he accepted and you guys have built a beautiful relationship together. So there's um, another lesson, ladies and gentlemen, hire a coach, like whoever, Tony Robbins, Oprah, whoever you want. And then when you get sick and tired of paying them, just offer them to write a book with you. <laughs> the speaker of mine. You just told the world, but that's okay. <laughs> Not everybody's going to do it. They're still going to be afraid. So it's, but if it's don't ask, definitely not going to happen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All they can do is say no. And then you would, just find somebody else or, or do what you were going to do anyway. How wow. beautiful. And the, the fact that, see, so I was right in the introduction that I wrote that Susan, in fact, was your driving, driving force, um, yeah. which is beautiful when, you know, you consider a, a lot of entrepreneurs um, go at it, not only solo from the lack of friends and support, but also from the lack of support and input from their families, um, which that is just a... Um, uh, it's a deal breaker and it's just a recipe for success. You got to have at least your family on board um, and wives, especially. Um, I know Susan is for you and Alethea is for me. They're just so insightful and they have this way of telling us, inspiring us, right? Driving us um, wow. with just a look and sometimes just a word of encouragement um, that just keeps us going. So congratulations to you, not only on the longevity of Morgan James and seeing it through here, you are celebrating your 20th year, which is beautiful, but also um, the fact that you've got such a loving, encouraging uh, family um, and you named the company after your kids. And sadly, what you told me a couple of months ago is that your kids are not following you in your footsteps. They're pursuing careers of their own, which is a beautiful thing, right? Yeah, I can have it. <laughs> <laughs> so that just means that you'll be able to sell it to someone instead of giving it away to the kids. <laughs> if you ever ask, big, big money for it. Tell me, David, with as many manuscripts as you've received over the years, over the last 20 years, and as many books as your company has published, uh, what, in your opinion, are the elements of a good story from an author's point of view? And why should why is it important to share our stories? So um, I'm glad you brought that up because you know, some of the best books have really serious elements of stories in them. Certainly, we've all seen books that have facts. We've got lists. We've got checklists. We've got bullet points. All that stuff is important. But the piece that brings it all together, the, the glue, I think, and the reason why the readers want to follow us more and buy our other products or come to our conferences uh, or refer us is that story aspect. You know, 10, 12, 20 years ago, content was king. 
It still is today. But over the last five, eight, ten years, this beautiful queen of connections rising right up next to the king of content. And that connection is either real or perceived with you as an authority figure in your space, whether you're entertaining them with a fiction or educating and encouraging them with a nonfiction. They're looking for a connection with an individual now more than ever. And so stories have a chance to kind of bring your life into it. And even if you're telling stories of examples of what you're teaching in the book, people remember stories better. Um, they feel like they can place themselves in that stories a whole lot better than just page after page after page after page of facts. So stories are a big, very, very important part in the education and encouragement process, but also in that developing of that relationship that you need to have with your readers. Because ultimately, from a book perspective, those readers are going to be your best clients for decades to come. So look for, seek out, create opportunities to have that connection with the readers and stories help you do it. Wonderful, wonderful. Do you think that we're more inclined to uh, receive stories and involve ourselves in the stories of others as a result of COVID? Has that strengthened our desire for that or did it exist prior to COVID? I think it existed prior to COVID. One thing that came through COVID that was beautiful is that it has reignited our desire and our need to have that personal connection, which is why, you know, maybe 2019, we only did a handful of, of Zoom calls and things like that. But now, you know, post COVID, we're like, every call has got to be video because I want to have that connection. We lost it. So now we're desiring it even more so and really seeking out opportunities to have that connection via virtual methods or, or more so in person as these live events are starting to pop back up. So I think it was a little bit there, but really got that fire, you know, during COVID. It got amplified, right? Because we were yeah. we were precluded from engaging with each other, with your own, even with your own family. And in many cases, that was a blessing. That yay, I don't have to go see my family. <laughs> but I know that <laughs> in the business world, especially, you know, a lot of people were distraught and disappointed, and and, and like, what do I do now? Connection is 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 essential to our survival as as human beings I, i'm i'm convinced of that so i'm uh, i'm i'm super glad that you know something good came out of it our desire to connect and to you know you only know what's the phrase it, it's it's like there's a song being a songwriter you only know uh, what good you how good you have it when it's gone oh yes right 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 um they paved paradise to put up a parking lot yes don't it always seem to know that you don't know what you've got till it's gone exactly and who was that john mayer john mayer very good um yeah so it's only when we something's taken away from us that we learn to value it um so good 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 i'm glad that we're back on on track on that now um you uh wrote together with your buddy, who I understand started out as your client from reading the book, uh, Bobby Kipper, you guys wrote performance-driven thinking to help um, primarily the business community, right, develop a new way of thinking that was um, more performance-driven rather than profit-driven, profit-motivated, as uh, that leads to a lot of trouble. And performance, you were talking about um, increasing the performance capacity of your employees and of your company and of your vendors, not just creating profits, right? And now you've kind of taken that a bit further into performance-driven giving. Why, David, in your opinion, is giving so important? Oh, I love that. So you're right. So with performance, you know, we are going to perform every day when we go to work, we go to go home to be with our family or we're engaging with others, even in sports, we perform. 
the reality is that not everybody understands is that you're either going to perform well or you're going to perform poorly. So the idea of thinking that, okay, I understand that. How can I do it well? How can I excel in it? Where can I serve in that performance mindset? Uh, and then you can do and uh, receive and give a lot more. So giving, I think, is just a natural progression of understanding that uh, in performance, um, the more that you can show that you're selfless and serving others, the more it comes back to you over and over and over again. So giving was mentioned in performance-driven thinking, but so we're expanding. In fact, we've got a series of books that are coming out all kind of based on those original chapters of, excuse me, of, uh, of performance-driven thinking. Um, so giving, I think, was just the first logical next step for, for us. And it certainly is close to my heart. I, I As you see in the book, you know, I've got a good story of giving uh, over the years, um, lots of things that really have been just brought to me because of that, that, that generous spirit that I certainly did learn as a youth in my upbringing and then just you know, exercise in that giving you know, in those early years. So giving is so amazing. As you, as you alerted to earlier, giving without any expectation of receivings, it does come back to you tenfold. may not be the exact way you expect it to, but when you look back, you can see all those connections. Exactly, exactly. Now, when we... When most of us, when the average person thinks about giving, you know, some obstacles, some challenges come to mind is like, whatever I have is not valuable enough, or I don't have enough to give, or I don't have enough time to go out and give. And then we read books like, for example, performance-driven thinking and performance-driven giving, which are kind of attuned to, uh, to more towards the business and the corporate side of our, our lives. But can we apply some of these principles in our personal life as well? Oh, absolutely. And if you're wondering if you've got something valuable to give or not, you could always start small. And it doesn't have to be money. That's the beauty of giving. It could be just of your time. It could just be of your attention. It could be putting your phone on the on the uh, front porch while you're having dinner and just being engaged with your family. It could be just helping, you know, a neighbor do something. It could be, you know, volunteering at the uh, at the local, you know, homeless center or something like that. It could be just something about just doing something that's that you not normally do that gives up your time or your talent, or it certainly could be could be money, but it doesn't always have to be. But each time you do that, and if you get into a habit of doing that and you encourage others to do that with you, encourage the family to participate in this this giving thing. Lots of great stories in the book on how to do that. It can change your life and then open up more windows of opportunity for you to be giving. And then certainly you'll see those things coming back to receive it. Um, and I have seen both. Giving of time has brought me some some amazing things. Giving of money has brought me back some amazing things. In every aspect of our lives, if we incorporate some level of giving, you'll see a return. A big one. Yeah. Uh, so glad that you shared that. And you mentioned the... Um, the values, right, that are that are ingrained in, in in giving, and in your book here, one of the sections that I love is on, um, and I'll just tell everybody it's on page one. The core values of a giving culture is on page one seventeen and one eighteen, and I want to ask you a question about this because it came, it occurred to me that you list several things here. You list, I think, ten things: abundance, stewardship, people first, future focus, flexibility, ownership. Excellence, personal growth, teamwork, and nine. So there were nine. Of yeah. those nine that I mentioned, is there one that you believe is the core, is the foundational value for all of those? Um, having that abundance mindset. Now, it was number one in on the list, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I was thinking that far in advance. But I, I've really come to, to realize that having the abundance mindset, whether you feel like you actually have abundance in, in gifts or money lying around to spill it, 
having that mindset that you actually have value in whatever aspect that you're thinking, again, whether it's time, talent, or money, um, helps you kind of give from a full cup. You've all seen those, those parables where um, you can fill up a glass to a certain point, and if you overfill it, then you have the ability to, to give more to others. Probably a poor analogy. I, I say it better in the book. But that abundance mindset that you have more than enough to give really continues to lay the foundation for the rest of them and the foundation for the for the entire success of the concept of giving. Um, yeah, so really that abundance mindset, number one for a reason. I love it. I love it. And it goes in line with something that um, I've uh, lived for a long time is that uh, you, you have to, we must give what we want to receive. Right? In other words, if you want more money in your life, give money away, whether right. it's a dollar, 50 cents, give it to the homeless guy on the corner or to your church or buy somebody lunch, buy somebody coffee, or, um, you know, whatever, right? Just these little bits help. If you want more love, give more love, right? That means that you're paying attention to someone else. You're giving words of encouragement. You're giving little gifts. You're giving away. You know what I recommend is you give away David's book, right? <laughs> to someone that you love, to, to your boss, to your CEO. In fact, let's make that a challenge to all executives uh, listening to this is give performance-driven giving to your CEO. Your CEO is probably not expecting that you're going to give them a gift, right? They're probably thinking that you want or that yeah, that you want gifts from them. Turn it around, right? If you're a secretary out there, give your boss this book. Oh man, they're going to love you and they're going to give you a raise even if you don't ask for it. You don't need to ask for it. So outstanding and congratulations on the success of this book, David, and, and also your prior book, uh, Performance Driven Thinking. Um, I wonder, as you said that you're going to come out with a series of them, are you going to do performance driven dancing, performance driven singing, performance driven eating, performance driven sleeping? <laughs> All of those are on the table, but I think leadership will be our next one. Leadership. Very good. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. Now, David, since we're on the topic of books, and I know that there's a lot of authors that are listening to this, and we're attracting a lot of uh, speakers and authors through the Voices of Impact Awards, people that want to or will be inspired to write stories and write books um, yeah. simply by their participation in the, in the awards program. With all of the experience that you have in publishing, what should an author's focus be? Should it be on, this is the topic that I love, and so I'm going to focus and write about that? Or should it be, what's selling, and I need to focus on that? Is there a way to marry both? Are those two completely different things? How do we resolve that conflict, if there is a conflict? There is a tough question, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's a, a conflict, but I would often talk to an author when I when I had that presented to me, like, where do I start? What book do I write first? I look at it from an entrepreneurial perspective. You know, write the book that can have the biggest impact on you. Obviously, the book's got to be good. The book's got to serve an audience well. It's got to serve a need. It's got to educate, encourage, inspire, or entertain, or all of the above. But I'd say write the book that gives you the most, the most benefit right now. So whether that's to uh, establish you as an authority in your space so you can get that promotion or establish you as an authority so you can create your own products and services and seminars uh, certainly can be tied to a current passion you have. But I would definitely want you to write a book that you will be more than happy to still be talking about, you know, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. Uh, sometimes authors will write their, you know, their their personal story that's maybe really compelling. But the challenge with writing uh, maybe your personal memoir, no matter what has happened in your life, that people don't care until they realize they should care. And it's really hard to get focused if nobody knows who you are. 
But if you can have an impact on people's lives with a, a more direct book that your story could certainly still be a part of, where you can create some additional income, create some notoriety and you know, uh, open more doors, then you can come out and bring out that storybook or the more of that passion project book and you'll have an audience that, that wants it. So I always say, write the book that can benefit you the most now that you can charge more and negotiate less for what you're doing now. It's the audience that you're trying to do, to do. You can serve or grow your own platform with doing so. Start there. And there will be an opportunity to do those other things for sure. Love it. Love it. So there's a way to, that you can marry all of these uh, interests or all of these competing issues, if you will, because I know that a lot of publishers are, you know, one of the primary questions they ask is how many books will this sell regardless of, you know, what the focus of the book is. They're, they're focused on sales first and they tell the authors that, you know, look and see what's selling on Amazon and that's what you should write to or write something similar, you know, something like that. But you're saying that there's a way that we can marry something that we love, something that we're really passionate about and combine that with sales provided that the story is um, served together with value, not just your story because you're not David Hancock yet. No one knows who you are. No one really cares. <laughs> but the, beauty, the beautiful thing of it is if you write the book that can benefit you and not, you don't necessarily have to listen to those naysayers that say only write the things that are selling is it's really hard to sell a book. Nobody really wants to buy another book. I mean, am I wrong? How many of us have bought books we haven't opened yet? How many books have we started reading we haven't finished yet? Why would we want another book? But if you're writing from that passion project that you're really you know, engaged with, that you are leveraging the power of the book to open those doors and grow your business, and you're leveraging the book to create those conversations or create those opportunities, it's easy to sell books. People will buy those books where you're not really trying to sell the book. I look at it from a, from a two-bridge perspective. There's two bridges you have to cross between now and the time that you finally say, hey, go buy my book. One of us is, is becoming the authority in this space or confirming that you're an authority in the space. So that first bridge is the authority bridge where people need to see you in that space as being the right person, saying the right thing at the right time. Your passion, your enthusiasm, and your willingness to serve will shine a, a big light on you. And people will become engaged in that process with you. They'll want to learn more. They'll want to be eagerly waiting. Where can I get this? How can I have more access to you? Of course, the book is the big thing. Mm -hmm. The second bridge, if you do the first one right, is the permissions bridge. Straight out of Seth Godin's book, Permissions Marketing, you know, from the 90s, you earn the right to finally say, hey, go buy my book. But if you just come out like most, most authors or most people do is they'll, they'll write a book, they'll hold it real close to their chest. And all of a sudden on, on some random day when they decide to release it, then they go, hey, I wrote a book, go buy it. And nobody cares at that point. They don't, they don't see you as an authority. You haven't been selling to your, your, your connections. They're like, whoa, you may have a little splash of success, but then they'll just die off. You earn the right to sell them by gaining their trust getting them engaged, giving them great content, and actually really earning the right to ask or get their permission to say, go pre-order the book now. But it's a whole lot easier to sell a book than just trying to find the niche that's selling. Uh, because what if it um, isn't something you're really passionate about? What if you really don't know what you're doing or you're not really keen to learn? You just want to try to tap onto an opportunity. You will fall flat and your audience will point it out to you really quick. Wow. This is just an amazing workshop and, and lesson in... Um authoring your first book and approaching it. And David, I'm really grateful to you for all of the, the wisdom that you're freely sharing there. And that goes in line with what you just said. And the advice that you just gave is, for those of you that are writing a book, give away some 
of the content that you have in there freely, right? You don't have to give physical copies away, but when you post on YouTube or Facebook or whatever, you know, talk about some of the concepts and principles and values and ideas that you have. And going back to David's abundance mindset, don't think that you're going to be giving it all away and no one's going to buy your book. No, they're going to even want your book. They're going to want your book even more. It's much like the chef uh, who gives away a recipe and thinks, huh, if I give away a recipe, no one's going to come to my restaurant. No, that's not true. Because the fact is no one can duplicate that recipe. It's never going to taste the same. And if you've ever tried to duplicate one of your mother's recipes, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So give it away. Yeah. 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 Give it away. <laughs> good, good, good. All right. Now, David, um, we're we're getting close to the to the uh, close of the show here, so I want to bring it full circle to the kind of giver that you are, and just an amazing human being. And I want to take you back to because I know you're you're also over forty too. Um, <laughs> September of twenty twenty two, we had a phone call, we had a Zoom, a video conversation where I shared with you what we're doing with the Voices of Impact Awards, and I asked you, right? You said, "Ask and you shall receive." I asked you to serve as a judge, uh, to be our first nominated judge, uh, to serve at the finals of the event in September 2023. And you said, absolutely. Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> absolutely. Ask and you shall receive. And then the more you learned about the Voices of Impact Awards, what did you do? Well, you know, I, I just saw a real opportunity to try to serve and try to add value to you because I get great joy of, of trying to add value to others. So I said, hey, you know, one thing that we could really wrap this up with really well is if that award, uh, not only the, the, the prizes, the recognition, all of which can be leveraged, but what an opportunity for a great story that needs to be told. So maybe let's let's award a publishing contract for the winner as well and let their story be told in bookstores globally for decades to come. That's it. And <laughs> I just almost fell out of my chair because I was just so blown away, right? I mean, that's not something that I ever thought, even dreamed of, you know, going to ask you for. I just wanted your presence to be a judge. And yet you saw an opportunity to add even greater value to what we're doing. And not to me, not to, yeah, to the organization Voices of Impact Awards, of course, but to one of the finalists. So this means that one of the finalists, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the winner because David's going to be there as one of the judges evaluating all of the finalists and he and his team are going to get to choose which one of the finalists gets the book publishing contract. So ladies and gentlemen, you have all the more reason to join and to come and tell your story. And remember what I said in the beginning, if you've never told your story before, if you don't know how, don't worry, because we've got your back. We've got mentors there that will help you write your story, that will help you share your story, that will help you speak your story so that you can have be given the best chance to compete and to participate in the finals and to present your best self, right? Because we don't want you just there to go and fall flat on your face. Uh, it doesn't make us look good. It certainly doesn't make you look good. So we want to give you the best opportunity. And now with a book publishing contract on the table, it just makes this so, so, so much more valuable. David, I can't tell you how grateful and thankful we are for your generosity, for that gift, and makes me want to quit as the president of Voya and participate so uh, I could win that book publishing contract. <laughs> I know a guy. <laughs> oh, you know a guy. Very good. I can take my knees out. 
Well, I do want to just reiterate, it's a real publishing contract, small advance, high royalties, no fees. We'll get them in, we'll get the, the book done, get it in bookstores and help figure out how to get them out of bookstores because it'll be easy to do so because you'll be leveraging the story to reach others and people will be eager to learn and buy and be a part of it. Outstanding, outstanding. And I've got a, um, you heard it here first, present for you, David. Um, in honor of you giving the book publishing contract to one of our finalists, we as a company have determined that we are establishing a new award going um, starting here in 2023 and moving forward, whether or not you ever serve as a judge again past year one, because I don't know, it's going to be a party, but you may not like the party. Um, <laughs> but we are establishing the Morgan James Book Award. Oh, wow. That is so awesome. As, um, an, as an award, as an ongoing award, as a Morgan James Book Award. Awesome. That yeah. is wonderful. So that's it's it's going to go in the official books. And, you know, I just you uh, you didn't have to. Right. But you came alongside of us, not only accepting uh, the position as a judge and hopefully that'll still work out with your schedule. Obviously, it remains to be seen as long as the world doesn't shut down to new, you know, bacteria or covid uh, resurfacing or, you know, the. Um, you know, Prince Harry and Meghan wanting you to meet them in Montecito, California, so you can help them write your book on that particular day. Um, barring anything like that, you know, we just want to make sure that you're always uh, a part of our organization in, in some fashion. And, and so we just thank you for that. We thank you for being real. We thank you for being genuine and so giving of your time and your wisdom. And um, in closing, uh, what would you say, David, to someone, and, and I'm not talking about the speakers out there, the person that wants to be, you know, like David Hancock or Tony Robbins or Oprah Winfrey and, and be on that stage, but the person who's kind of on the fence that's, you know, never really kind of played a lot with the idea, but they know that they've been through something, a challenge, a struggle. They've learned lessons that can be valued to someone else, but they're wondering, should they tell the story and is the Voices of Impact Awards the proper platform, what might you say to that person to encourage them or to discourage them? Well, I, I'm a big encourager. So definitely the latter they need to do for sure is to, to be a part of the <laughs> awards. But, you know, telling your story, even if you may not be ready to tell it publicly, there is some very good healing, cathartic pro process, and even perfecting your craft by writing it down. So a lot of times when authors decide, hey, I'm going to tell my story, I'm going to write about my, my passion, my project, my, my day job, you end up becoming better at it. But for me, it was a stress reliever. When I first wrote my book, banking was very stressful. Every transaction had like nine families attached to it. If my one transaction didn't close, there's nine people, nine families on the street. But I ended up realizing as I wrote the things that were going on, the ways to overcome it, the, the marketing strategies, the relationship building aspects, uh, the serving others, it ended up being a stress reliever for me. Lowered my blood pressure, in, increased the relationship with my wife. Instead of watching TV, we're sitting on the couch writing a book, and she was encouraging me. So I say, even if you think you're not ready to publish it, still draft the outline. Start writing to the pages. Don't think about the big book. Don't think about anybody reading it. Just start writing. Next thing you know, you'll get excited. You'll be compelled to deep dive even more. And then, oh my gosh, you'll start talking about it. <laughs> and the best time to start marketing your book is the moment you decide to write it mm. or that you want to go public, but the earlier the better. But yeah, so do all of the above. Very good. Do all of the above. And you can listen to this program 
on audio. You can listen to it on video. Um, and if you want to reach David Hancock, you can reach him through Morgan James Publishing. Uh, let him know that you saw his interview here on the Voices of Impact Awards and tell him how grateful you are for their offer of the um, book publishing contract to one of the finalists and for serving as a judge and just for being who he is, being the giver and for transforming the entire book publishing industry so that it's more favorable to, to us authors. And uh, so I'm grateful for you, David. Again, thank you for your time. Time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. It's been my privilege to host you on this show. And ladies and gentlemen, we will see you on the next episode. Remember to go to VoicesOfImpactAwards.com. You get all the details about joining the program, participating, registering, and for your chance to win $20,000. And now a book publishing contract from the one and only Morgan James Publishing. Until next time, thank you so much.